0: in verse number nine again it says this for you remember brethren our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you we preached unto you the gospel of god ye are witnesses and god also how holy and justly and unblamably we behaved ourselves among you that believe as you know how we exhorted and comfort and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of god who hath Called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Let's pray. God, we ask tonight that as we look to your word that you would help us to understand. Um, what is, is happening here as Paul is writing, God, that we would take the sense of it and that we would apply it to our lives, that we would live these things out, God, in a world um, that needs you. God, I pray as, as we understand Paul's heart here for this church, we understand, again, that he's not bragging about his own life, but he lived such a pure life that he could use himself as an example, and God, truly, that, um, that, that's a special thing if we truly dwell on that and think on it. And so I pray tonight, God, that um, you'd help us to understand, help us to grasp what's going on here, um, that we would live this way as well. We thank you again. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Here's a question to start us off. Why did Paul care and give and strive to minister and show concern and pour love into and encourage and invest and give himself so passionately for these people? Why, why was he so um, consumed with, with living the way that he lived? Bruce.
1: Consumed with Christ. Sure. Living and serving like
0: him. Yep. Consumed with Christ.
1: That's the way Christ loved us. Yeah.
0: Somebody else. Did you think about it. Did you think about Paul's life and testimony. Why did he live the way he lived? Leah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so thinking back over his own life caused him to appreciate the change God had made in him. Yeah, I like that. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, it changes your perspective when you think in that way. Anybody else? Mine is just a one-word answer, and it kind of touches on everything that was said, but it's just the gospel. Because of the gospel, um, Paul's life was so radically changed. Because of the gospel, he had a a perfect understanding or a better understanding of who he was and what God had done for him. Because of the gospel, he looked at people as eternal souls um, because of the gospel. And so when when we read this letter, and we've said from the beginning um, that Paul is writing to them to encourage them in this idea of lasting hope, clinging to something that's going to that's last for eternity. Um, what better thing to, to use as your foundation to build off of than the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's what he's done all throughout this. And so chapter two, we said last time he was really making the case um, for God's love for them as it was seen through Paul. He came in with pure intentions. He came in with pure motives. He came in with a a pure message, not to gain anything for himself, not even glory of men, but so that these people could hear and understand and, and grasp the gospel. And so, why did Paul care and give and strive to minister and show concern? Why did he pour into these people and love them and encourage them and invest in them? Why did he give himself so passionately? Because he understood that's what Christ had done for him, and that's all summed up in the gospel. And so, the, the follow-up question to that that I think is important is this: Do our lives? looked like Paul's life. It's it's fun to read Paul's description of himself. It's convicting to read Paul's description of himself. But if we read it, and then we don't let it affect us, what change has it made? What difference has it made? But as we read the way he writes, again, not making much of himself, but using the transformation that God brought into his life, um, we should then look at our lives to see if that transformation is there as well. And so as Paul went from place to place, his genuine love was evident. He, he literally poured out himself so the gospel would be clear. He, he was willing to spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel so that others could know Christ through his life. And we see his ministry was so impactful uh, because of the genuine nature in which he lived. And so Paul lived and breathed and preached the gospel each and every day. And so I want to look at these verses tonight and see how Paul continues to talk about how he lived the gospel but as we go through them, we're, we're going to see a transition here where Paul goes from saying this is how I've lived to this is how you're supposed to live. He was using his, his life as an example to say the, the change that the gospel has made in me is the change that the gospel is supposed to make in all of us. And it's not, it's not that we get to pick and choose which changes we desire or, or draw from. It's that this is what our lives are supposed to look like if the gospel has really changed us. And so I ask us a question tonight are our lives shaped by the gospel? And if we had to take an inventory of our life and ask the question, how much of my life looks different from somebody who doesn't believe the gospel, what would our, our findings be? In our passions, and our love, in the way that we invest our time, uh, our energy, um, is there a vast difference? Or is that difference not as big as it should be? And I think as we go through this, we're going to see that the conclusion, the answer is there should be a difference because the gospel is that powerful and the gospel calls us to something um, that we could never do on our own and it enables us to live it out. And so in verse number nine, uh, we see the first um, thing we'll see tonight. He says again this, for you remember brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. I I love the terms that Paul's using here. and, And we've said this in other places, but his terms are always endearing. Peter did the same thing as he wrote. He he calls them brethren. He doesn't call them my servants or my subjects or my congregation or my students. He calls them brothers. Why? Because that's what they were. They were brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul, as he's talking about himself, it would be easy for people to say, hey, you're just setting yourself on a pedestal and looking down at us. But when he uses the, the term brothers or brethren, he's saying, no, we're all on the same level. And I think that's important to remember as, as we find ourselves in church that we're no better than anybody else here, right? We're, we're brothers. We have equal standing. We may be progressing differently in different areas, um, but, but God doesn't have favorites, right? We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul uses that here to draw them in uh, so that they would continue to listen to him. So he's reminding them of their position. He's reminding them of the equal standing that they have. And he he appeals again to their memory. And he says, remember, brethren, remember how we came to you. Remember how when we came unto you, um, it was with labor and travail. Now, as you hear words, those two words, labor and travail, what comes to your mind? Childbirth. Childbirth. And that's the the image that these words would portray to us throughout the Bible, right? The, The suffering in childbirth, the difficulty in childbirth the pain in childbirth, but also the great joy that comes from these things. And so Paul says, I, I, w- I want you to remember and think on the labor and travail that we put forth as we came unto you. The word labor, the, the picture is like a beating of your chest or a weariness or trouble. And if you've ever been in a room where somebody's giving birth, there's a whole lot of weariness and and trouble and pain. and And you can see it, Um, on the person's face especially if those drugs aren't working Um, and travail would indicate simple simply this idea of hardship or distress or painfulness so by calling them brothers expressing his love to them and then saying i want you to remember the labor and travail he wanted them to understand that hey this this was costly to us but we were willing to pay the cost why because we loved you because we wanted to see you come to faith in Christ and then we wanted to see you grow in your faith. And so he's not saying these things to make them feel bad, but he's saying these things to show his genuine love for them and to prove his genuine desire for God to continue to work in their lives. He says we we came to you with labor and travail. He also says so that we wouldn't be chargeable. Now, there's there's a couple of things that Paul's talking about here. If you remember what did Paul do as a side hustle? That's what we'd call it today. He was a tent maker, right? And so as he went from place to place, probably he kept that side hustle going. Why? Because he didn't want to be chargeable to anybody. He didn't want to be a burden. As we saw last week, he said, we could have been a burden unto you. As like the apostles, we could have said, hey, this is what we want for our time here. And yet he said, but that's not what we're going to do. And so as as he's writing to them and reminding them of how he poured himself out, it was in a spiritual sense, but it was also in a physical sense because he didn't want to be guilty of taking things from them that they could then later point a finger at him and say, hey, you only came so you could get X, Y, and Z. You didn't really care for us. Obviously, Paul cared for them. There's one commentator I was reading said that it's thought that Paul would wake up early in the morning, and I don't know where they get this stuff from, but they, Paul would wake up early in the morning and do his work so that when when the busy times of day could come or when the evening could come, he could go out and do what he says at the end of verse 9, which is preach the gospel of God. He took care of his, his physical needs by making money for himself so that then he could go take care of the spiritual needs of other people. And I think there could be validity to that um, because he lived with such passion and he lived uh, with such determination to make the gospel of Christ known. He never let his physical needs pull him away from meeting the spiritual needs that other people had. He always put other people first, and I think that's the example that he's trying to get us to understand here. So as you read verse 9 and you think about the language Paul uses here, how he speaks to them as brothers, how he speaks of his labor and travail, laboring night and day um, so that they wouldn't be chargeable and so that they had an opportunity to preach the gospel of God, any thoughts that come to your mind?
1: Right. So, you know, it was the night ministry, so the kid that falls out of the window. And right. And uh, I like that laboring night and day. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, all your preacher does is preach, what all, or all you preachers do is preach two or three times a week, and they don't understand that there's a lot of laboring. something just happens that triggers you to pray. You know, it's just, there's a lot that goes on that yeah. isn't done in the pulpit
0: on yeah. Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Yeah, I would agree with that. The The mental side of true shepherding um, is more of a task than the physical side. It just is. Uh, but that's what you see in Paul's life. That's what you see in the life of Christ. Jeff? Yeah. I mean, that, I'm sure in that
1: time there's you know a lot of annihilation around false
0: prophets and I it's the same today, right? Yeah. And so by, by being very clear that look, we have met we have been a burden to you, we won't serve. Yeah. This is this is the gospel. No. Yeah, no, I like that thought. Um, he's just making it clear, right? He's, he wasn't gaining anything from them by being there. He probably could have set up camp someplace much easier if he just wanted to make tents, but he didn't just want to make tents. He wanted to preach the gospel, and the tent making afforded him the ability to, to preach the gospel. Anybody else? Verse 9, any thoughts on labor and travail? All right, moving on to verse 10. He says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how wholly and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. If verse 9, if in verse 9 Paul was was speaking of the genuine life that he lived, uh, verse 10 would, would be appealing to the unblameable life that he lived that was shaped by the gospel. He says, You are my witnesses. What's he saying? He said, If if I'm wrong here, stand up and say. if If we... We're a burden to you, if we took things that didn't belong to us from you, if if uh, we were a stumbling block, as Jeff was saying, stand up and say. He says, you're my witnesses that these things are true. But he doesn't just say that they're his witnesses. They saw his physical things. But he appeals to God as his witness. And that's a powerful testimony. A man who, who truly believed that there was a God who judged, for him to write to these people and say, you're my witnesses, but God is also my witness. You're the witness in what you saw, God is the witness in what you didn't see. You're the witness in my physical actions, God is the witness of my heart. And as I came to you, as we came to you, it was, it was with pureness. Um, one of the commentators that I enjoy reading, he's, he's very simple in the way that he puts things, but David Guzik says this, it's impressive that Paul could freely appeal to his own life as an example. Paul didn't have to say, please don't look at my life, look to Jesus, but Paul wanted people to look to Jesus, but he could also tell them to look on his own life because of the power of Jesus, uh, the power that Jesus had used to transform his life. And I think that's impressive. How many of us around the room today would would pull a group of people and say, okay, you're my witnesses that I've lived pure in every way among you? (laughs) That's a, a tough thing, right? Because not all of us have pure motives all the time. But Paul had a clear conscience before God and men. And so he appeals to both God and men, and this is a, a, another revelation that the gospel had so shaped Paul's life that what he used to do out of envy and strife and throwing Christians in jail, now he was doing out of pure joy of the Spirit, preaching the gospel to cause people or to draw people into this idea of Christianity. And so I just like how he appeals to both God and men here. He says, you, you have seen our genuineness in our actions. God has seen our genuineness in our heart. And let both be a witness to this reality that, that we came in holily and justly and unblameably as, as we behaved among you in, in every way. Um, and I think it's a powerful verse, again, a powerful testimony of a life that had been changed by the gospel. Any thoughts on verse number 10? It's going downhill fast. <laughs> Bruce? Just looking
1: up- it's not a checklist where we're checking out, this is how I have to do this, this is how I do that. It's just the evidence of the, the Holy Spirit. working through Right. Yeah. You know, love shouldn't be something we have to work at. Love is letting the Holy Spirit work through us and yeah. be filled with His Spirit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it goes back to the great commandment that Paul would have known by this point. Love God with all your heart. Love others as yourself. And when you keep that first thing in the right place, the second thing flows more naturally. Is, is there hiccups along the way? Sure there is. Why? Because we're human. Um, and we, we let ourselves get sidetracked. But if, if we truly love God purely, then we will also truly love others purely as well. And that's what is seen in Paul's life. Annie. Annie. yeah 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 absolutely yeah and I I like that thought he wasn't claiming perfection but he was saying your life should be changing right (laughs) you're you're never going to be perfect but you should um, be climbing the ladder towards Christ's likeness and sanctification as the spirit works in you and that's the fruit of Paul's life here any other thoughts in verse 10 Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, I think that can be an encouragement to us as well, is that, hey, there are things that God can use you to do and to even be able to set examples for others, even in our closet. Yeah, state. yeah. No, I, I like that as well. I, I think what he's appealing to here is the how the trend of his life has been upward, right? We we flatline sometimes in our spirituality and just be like, eh, we know we're saved and, and we'll just kind of coast in, in this area. But Paul's saying, no, I'm pressing, right? That's what he says to the Philippians. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so he lived with an intensity and that intensity is seen in the way that he behaved himself um, in the eyes of both God and men. And like we said, I'm sure it wasn't that he never made a mistake because we don't believe he was perfect. But even in his mistakes, he was honest and repentant and desired to move forward. And that's, you know, as we think of of david isn't that why god called him a man after his own heart because in his even in his sinfulness what did he do he sought the face of god in in repentance and uh, desired renewal and restoration in his life so good thoughts anybody else all right moving on verse number 11 Um, he says as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children um, if you remember, back in verse number 7, Paul said, We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cheritheth, cherisheth her children. And so twice now, in just a short span, Paul has appealed um, to their understanding of a parental love. And Paul, in some ways, was a spiritual father to them in that he was the one who came and preached the gospel. They were his spiritual children, as, as, so was, uh, as he looked at Timothy in the same way, Right? That they had such a relationship. And and as Paul is writing here to them, he he says, I want you to know this is my heart for you. And you can tell when somebody exhorts you and comforts you and charges you in love for your benefit. And you can tell when somebody exhorts you and charges you and comforts you for their benefit. If they're trying to get something out of you for them, it's going to be known. If they're just trying to nudge you along in the direction of godliness and holiness, it's also going to be known. And Paul says, I'm appealing to this idea that we've, we've loved you as, as a mother loves her children and as a father encourages his children. So there, there was comfort in this for them. Now, as we think about the gospel, as the gospel was preached, what would that often bring to families? Division and turmoil and separation. And didn't Christ experience that in his own life? Because his own family wanted to pull him away from the things that he was doing. And Christ said, when people came and said, your mother and your brothers are here, Jesus said, no, these are my bro- mo- this is my mother and these are my brothers. I have a new family. And so Paul's appealing to them in this idea that, hey, you're a part of a new family. It doesn't mean in every sense that we, we get rid of our old family, right? Because we should still live before them unblameably and wholly and justly. Um, but Paul's saying, I, I want you to see how I have cared for you. It wasn't to manipulate you. It was to encourage you to have something that you could have never had apart from the gospel. And he was encouraging them to live in that thing. And so uh, he wanted them to to see and understand that his exhortation and his comfort and his charging of them was out of pure and genuine love. And as I have read through this, like this is is pastoral goals, that when you can genuinely love people in this way... um, if, if I'm doing what I'm doing for any other reason, for any other motive, then it's time for me to examine myself, right? It's time for me to probably step out of what I'm doing. Uh, but when I can love people in this way, as Paul did, um, that's, what, that's what we're called to do. And it's not just pastoral goals, it's, it's fellow believers. That's how we should care for one another in this way, um, and it should be proved in the way that we live our lives. And so, um, Paul was, was appealing to this idea of a mother and father and I believe they felt confidence in Paul's care for them as they watched him invest in their lives. Um, he loved this church, and he wanted this church to know it. Why? So that when they received a letter from him, they would they would read it with pure, pure eyes, that they would see it as it was written, not as they perceived it was written. If you've ever heard somebody speak and you have a a, a bad feeling towards them. What are, you, what are you guessing or second-guessing? Everything they say. Your motive's not for me. Your motive's for you. Your desire's not for me. It's for, for you. It's for your name. It's for your glory. But Paul wanted them to see that, that his love for them was genuine. And as he appeals to the idea of, of a father here, um, isn't that what we want our kids to know? Like, as a father, I genuinely love my children, and I want to see them do better than me. And so in the areas of their lives where I see them going off the rails so to speak i'm going to come up to them and i'm going to say hey i I just want to express my heart to you and say i've been down that road before and it's not a good road to go down i've had those thoughts i've done those things and it doesn't lead to um to a good life or to rest or peace or joy um like going down this path would and so paul uh, wanted them to to know his care for them was genuine uh, and as he charged them um even when he was stern with them They felt it as love. And I think that's true of children. Children feel safe in homes where there are boundaries. They do. And Paul was setting boundaries. He said, this is how I want you to live. We had um, several times in youth ministry, kids come and say, we wish our parents had more rules. Why? Because they felt that their parents didn't care about them because their parents let them do whatever they wanted. Paul is setting ground rules here, right, for how a Christian is supposed to live, and he's doing it from a fatherly heart towards his spiritual children. Any thoughts on verse number 11? Mickey, was that hand raised? <laughs> Thought you had a deep insight on your dad at this point. <laughs> All right, moving on to verse 12. The game doesn't start till 6.30, people. I mean, it's... Yeah. 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 That's powerful. It 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 shows his intimate care, right? Like when when you speak of your children, um, hopefully this isn't <laughs> the case, but you're like. As you're sitting around the table, you know, I really care for you and you. Well, the green beans are good. Right. And you skip over a few kids. No, you you express your love for every one of them, right? You express your tender care for every one of them. And it might be expressed differently, right? For Paul to express his care to some of them, it may have been an exhortation. For for his care to be expressed to some of them, hey, it may have been to come and comfort them in their time of need, or to sit with them as they as they mourned. And so um, he, he just wanted them to see that in, in every way his love was expressed to every one of them uh, he was a good spiritual father to them as he pointed them to Christ um, and that's what makes a good earthly father as well pointing them to Christ any thoughts
1: uh, without partiality yep. in the church it's, it's an important thing whether it's a financial thing of, like James dealt with giving the rich people the front seats yeah. and kicking the poor people <laughs> to the back you know it's just no partiality that we're
0: present. Yeah. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Yeah. I just love that. Those good thoughts. Ethan. I, I always have found it interesting that as Paul expressed the great challenges he faced in his ministry, he talks about all the, sh- the shipwrecks, the beatings, all these things, and then he says, above all, the care of all the churches. Like the the physical things were were taxing, right? They they beat his body up. The care of the churches burdened his heart. He didn't care about the physical beatings in reality, right? He was glad to suffer, but it was the the spiritual. Um, the spiritual love that he had for them, those are the things he went to bed thinking about at night. And I think that's true of any good pastor, right? Like it's, it's you, you care about the spiritual well-being of the people that God has put in your care, in part um, because you understand that it comes with great responsibility and accountability, that one day you'll give an account for these people. But secondly, I, I think it's true for most pastors that it seems that whoever God leads through this church there's there's a genuine love in my heart already for them, and I think that's it's birthed by God, right? It's not a it's not a natural thing, where I just see people that I've never met before and don't care about them. When I reach out to visitors, there there is genuinely already a love there, um, and I think that's something that God does, and so. So when Paul faced difficulties and people turned their backs on him, how do you think that made him feel? It's one of the deepest wounds he could have faced. Why? Because he genuinely loved them. He genuinely cared for them as a father cares for his children, as a mother cherishes the chi- child that she gave birth to. It's a genuineness that can't be replaced. And I think people can sense that. I can tell when people have genuine love for me. You can tell when people have genuine love for you. And it makes all the difference. Rebecca. Right. It was the church. The and they did and they were there for her. And yeah. They her.
1: And like she gets comfortable and I like even here I see her starting to be comfortable and getting yeah. to know certain people. And I mean she
0: talks to anybody. <laughs> <So> it's, just, <laughs> <that's>
1: it's true. <laughs> but their family yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah, absolutely yeah his love was pure last Sunday night uh, Daniel Smith came up to me I was talking to I remember who I was talking to he said I got a question for you we need to talk I said okay let's go talk and if you know Daniel he's he's just Daniel Smith so he said we got to go to the office so I went to the office, I sat down, and he sat down in the chair across from me. He said, so, what's it like being a pastor? I said, well, it's a lot of fun, honestly. Like, I, I won't go into all the details, but it's a lot of fun, right? And I think Paul genuinely loved what he did, um, and that was seen in the way that he interacted with people. It was seen in the way that he cared for people. So, great thoughts. So in verse 12, we begin to see the, the transition. He, he has gone in verse 1 through 11 Really speaking of himself, his, his own genuineness, his own love, his, um, his relationship with God and his relationship with them. Um, and he talks in verse 11, as we saw, how he exhorted them and charged them and comforted them as a father would his children. And what did he comfort them in? Well, now he begins to talk about how they should live their lives. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom in glory. Paul says, if you remember back, our our labor, our coming into you was not in vain. God God blessed it. Uh, We didn't come with our own motives. We came on a mission from God that the gospel would be preached unto you, and the gospel was preached, and you believed the gospel, and our exhortation to you after you believe the gospel is that you would walk worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Paul doesn't say, my kingdom or for my glory. He says, his kingdom is... In His glory, and this whole idea of walking worthy um, is is an appeal to them to say, "You've you've seen how I've walked; mimic that, right?" He's appealing to himself and the change that the gospel had made in him, and he's asking them, "Hey, has the gospel made the same change in you?" He's appealing uh, in the previous verses, showing them how he walked amongst them, how he cared for them so genuinely, and how. He was unblameable in their sight, and, and now he says, you need to walk worthy of God. Now, Paul would, would readily argue that the gospel was the power that allowed him to live the way that he lived, and so he wasn't asking them to do this through their own strength. He was asking them to let the Spirit live through them and empower them to do the things that he had, the Spirit had promised they could do, and so when he says that you would walk worthy, he's exhorting them to examine the lives that they were living. Now, they were facing trials for their faith. They were facing persecution for the things that they believed. And yet in those things, Paul said, you need to walk worthy. Probably some of them had physical sicknesses that were plaguing their lives. And what does Paul say? You need to walk worthy. You need to examine your life to see if you're walking worthy of the God who has called you into his kingdom. Paul's not saying walk worthy so that you can be approved of God, but he's saying walk worthy because you are God's children. It's, it's similar to what he says, um, and I can't remember where it is, but let your, work, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work for your salvation, but let that salvation be worked out of you. And when it's worked out of you, it's going to change everything about you from the, from the things you, you like to do um, to the things that now that you don't like to do. It's going to shift everything because that's what the gospel does. Paul was was previously passionate in his former life. That passion led to violence. Now his passion had been refocused and it was leading to changed lives. I, I think some, sometimes we, and I, I know I just made a statement similar to this, that when the gospel comes into our lives, it changes everything. And it does, I believe that. But sometimes it just is a shifting, right? Paul was passionate before. Was he passionate afterwards? Absolutely but that passion just shifted. God didn't change all of his personality. He changed some things about his personality, but he really just shifted a lot of the passion that was there uh, for something that was eternal. So how, how can we walk worthy? We would say that sounds like religion, that we're, we're doing the work, that we're putting forth the effort through our own power to bring external change. But really walking worthy is, is again, allowing the gospel to be worked out of us, and the outward change is an expression of an, an inward truth. Um, what people see on the outside is a revelation of what's now on the inside of us. Um, that's the illustration that we use with baptism, right? It's an external expression of an inward change, that, that when you get in the water and you're immersed fully in the water and you come up out of it, it's, it's you saying, my life has changed, and that's what our lives should be doing each and every day. And this is a high calling that believers are to submit to. Paul doesn't say, if you feel like it, walk worthy. On the days it's easy, walk worthy. When it's convenient, walk worthy. He says, walk worthy with no other parameters to guide you. Just simply walk worthy. Prove that your life has been changed by God. Prove that you have been called to His kingdom and to His glory. And so I would ask us, what does it look like to walk worthy? Well... I think all we really have to do is back up in these verses and look at the example that Paul put forth in his own life, that he was unblameable, that he walked justly, that he walked in holiness, that he walked in righteousness as the gospel had changed his life. And so this is a continuation of Paul instructing them as a father, and he was speaking to them as his children, and his, and his desire was pure that they would live for God. And it reminded me of what John wrote in 3 John, verses 4 and 5, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou doest to brethren and to strangers. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. And so I think to sum it up, what does it mean to walk worthily? It means to live consistently, to live a life consistently that lines up with the gospel you say you believe. Walk worthy. Prove that what you say is true. We've all seen a hypocrite, right? We've all probably been a hypocrite. We've all seen a hypocrite, and it bugs us. And so how do we not be a hypocrite? We just simply walk according to how the gospel says we're supposed to walk and let God make those changes in us. Any thoughts on verse 12? Ethan. Ethan. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, anybody else? Bruce?
1: Just uh, all the way down through here, again, in, in verse 13, uh, we've been talking about Paul, but he's not alone here. Verse 4, but as we, uh, verse 5, used we, uh, neither we nor the glory, you know. Yeah. He, he was not alone in group of men. Number one, I don't think God intended any of us to have to go it alone. You know, it, he, he put forth that right from the beginning of Paul's ministry and others. They were always in a group. But this was the testimony of Silas. This was the right. testimony of Timothy. This was the testimony of Luke. This was, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's uh, the same thing with elders and deacons in the church. It's None of us are perfect. right? But as a group, we try to that example for the church, and I just, uh, I just love that word "we" down through there. It's always been uh, very important to me because I could not do anything that would glorify God by myself. It was surrounding myself with good men and women who <laughs> yeah. would help me even in my weakness. Sure, you know, especially in my weakness. And Paul had those around him too. And because of what we can do, you guys can do right. it too.
0: Yep. Somebody else. It reminded me of what Paul says in Romans twelve, one and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what is walking worthy? It's it's proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's, it's striving daily um, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for God to use them in any way that He so desires, uh, regardless of the, the perceived cost, understanding that the the benefit or the reward in the end is, is going to far outweigh the cost that is paid in this life. Um, and He begs people, right? I, I beg you to do this. Why? Not so that I, when I get to heaven, I'll get extra rewards when I say, well, I got all these people in. I, I beg you because it's the best life you can live, right? It's, I beg you because... This is where you you do find true and abundant life as we talked about this morning. Anybody else? Lucy's got a lot to say tonight. (laughs) Verse 13 then, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. Paul was, was basically saying, we know, um, we know that this can be true because you genuinely received the word. If you only received the gospel as a word, the word of men, then the change would not last. But when you receive the gospel as the word of God, if you jump down to the end, we could skip everything in between. He said, it's that same word of God that's going to effectually work in you that believes. And so when you receive it as the word of God, it changes you from the inside out. That word effectually, it, it means it, it's, it's power. It's, it's a, a, an effective work inside of you. It's a power that's working itself out of you. Uh, and Paul is, is urging them to see that truth. It's, it's an active thing, the word of God, and it actively changes our lives. Um, if you believe the gospel, then the spirit lives in you. And if the spirit lives in you, then Peter would say that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. In 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's a powerful statement in and of itself. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him, that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these things you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, or our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. In the end of that passage, Paul is describing two people. He's describing a person who is walking worthy, and he's describing a person who is walking in selfishness who is the person who walks worthy? He's the one who remembers the gift that he has received through Jesus Christ, that divine gifting of God opening the eyes of his heart and mind to see and understand and receive salvation. Who is he that that doesn't walk in these things? The one who's forgotten that they've been purged from their old sins. Memory is a powerful tool. Paul says, if you remember... If you dwell on it, if you think on it, if you meditate on it daily, then it's going to change your life. That's why we make the statement, preach the gospel to yourselves. Why? Because the gospel is the power that's changed us, and it's the power that's going to continue to change us. But when we forget those things, we're prone to fall back into our old ways, which are full of greed and lust and covetousness and doubt and worry and fear. And so Paul Paul says, believe the gospel." Keep believing the word of God as a word from God and not from men, and you'll understand that it effectually works itself out of you and proves to the world around you that, that what you have is true and genuine and what you have is lasting. As you think of verse 13, any thoughts that come to your mind? Evan? I was just looking at it that effectually Yeah. It's like your energy, it's, it's your source of power. Right. <laughs> Just keeps going, right? <laughs> That's what keeps you going is this truth. Yeah. And everybody can see it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is very cool. Somebody else? Gina. yep yeah right yeah yeah and that's not that's not common in our world, right We care with strings attached. Um, several months ago, somebody was going through something hard here after the service, and they, they walked by and quickly just shared an update. And I said, well, let's just stop and pray about it. And uh, this, is, this is not to toot my own horn. It's to show the reality of what is saying is true. The person walked away in tears and like, you know, I know I make people cry a lot, but I, <laughs> did I do something wrong here? And they wrote us later and said, they've been in church their whole lives, and a pastor had never once often prayed for them like that's probably one of the simplest things we can do right it doesn't take much effort to to say a prayer it takes more effort to to write a card or to make a meal or to go to somebody's house and encourage them and so it just goes again to prove that those smallest things even in the church family can have such an impact on the life of somebody who's struggling in ways that we don't even know they're struggling (laughs) and it can cause them to to shift their perspective to look on god again and I, I think that is the working out of the gospel, right? It's that genuine care, that fatherly, that motherly care um, for those who live around you, uh, saved or unsaved, that you're, you're, you're compassionate towards them. Um, it's, it, uh, it is the thing that makes a difference. And as, as we think about compassion making a difference, my mind always goes to the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the priest and the Levite, what did they do? They walked on by. The Good Samaritan, what did he do? He stopped. He invested. He, he loved. He cared. He showed concern. He comforted. He checked in on him. right? He said, if you need anything else, I'm going to come back to you again, and I'll make good on it so that you don't have to worry about any of these things. And that's the proof of the gospel in us when it works itself out of us. Anybody else have anything they want to add?
1: Uh, back when we did the Barnabas Kids card, Sharon's co-worker, uh, got a Barnabas kid's card that just said we're praying for you. Yeah. Uh, her testimony was this the first time she ever saw her husband break down hmm. we over this card. Yeah. Just of little kids that said we're praying for you. Yeah. Like that. You, know, yep. you never know yeah. what little TV you do that.
0: Yeah. Just rock somebody's world in a good way. So I guess the, the final appeal is is are our lives shaped by the gospel? And I, maybe that's the challenge for us to examine our own hearts as we leave. Are, are we living gospel-shaped lives? And I think it's it's not just to be evidenced in the church, it's to be seen in the world. Um, and that gospel that has made a difference in us will make a difference in the lives of those around us. I get it. Not all of us are, are naturally outgoing. I'm, I'm actually not a naturally outgoing person. Um, I'm really not. Matt and I can say this because he's not up here, Matt has pushed me out of my comfort zone because he is naturally outgoing. Like, he sees somebody he doesn't know, and I'm like, i got to go over there and straighten up the offering envelopes. And he's like, oh, a new face. Like, he thrives on that stuff. And it's, it's, uh, it's been convicting to me. Um, but that's how we should be. Like, a, a nat- I'm not saying that we all have to, to, to uh, be obnoxiously outgoing, um, but God's going to lead us to people, and he's going to bring people into our lives that he wants us to reach out to and impact in the way that we interact with them, and that's a part, just a part of the gospel working its way out of us. All right, let's close in a word of prayer, and uh, you can either be unspiritual and leave and go home, or you can stay since we moved church early just for this and enjoy a time of fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. We'll make it sound really spiritual. But let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this time that we have tonight. And God, we do thank you for the power that is within us. Because if if we were left to do these things in our own strength and by our own understanding, God, we would be hopeless. We'd be lost. We'd be confused. um, We'd be out of energy. But God, as Paul reminds us, though the outward man perishes, for those of us who are believers, the inward man is renewed day by day. God, work the gospel out of us. Sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to to cause us to take steps that we wouldn't normally take in our natural personality. But God, we're no longer natural men and women. We're spiritual. We're eternal. I pray that as we live in this world, God, that we would walk worthy and that walking worthy would impact those around us for the sake of the gospel. We thank you, God, for your love for us that you cherish Uh, us as a a mother cherishes her children. God, that you nurture us as a father does his children. And may we grow from that nourishing and cherishing um, to be a people that, that bring glory to your name in all that we say and do. We thank you again. Be with us tonight as we spend some time in fellowship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.